Hello and welcome to the Memorial Day episode number 22 of Holy Crap It Sports. I'm Pete Davis, your host for the next few minutes. we got a lot to talk about. I want to, first of all, say sorry I haven't had one since last Tuesday because I... Dealing with a migraine that seemed to last about three days there. And when you can't see and your head's throbbing, you really don't want to be honorary while you're doing the old podcast. Well, we got that behind us now, taking a lot of drugs, so everything's fine. By the way, uh, the Palatial Recording Studio here in lovely Sandy Springs, Georgia, for the first time, I have the air conditioning on. So the windows are down, so I don't think we'll be hearing a lot of kids screaming and will... If I let them out of the closet, maybe, but uh, or cars beeping or anything that's going on outside. So now we got we've entered the dog days, which last here in Atlanta from oh May till uh, September. Anyway, it's Memorial Day. Hope everybody's been enjoying and remembering why we have Memorial Day. In fact, we're gonna have a special show today about that Memorial Day and baseball Hall of Fame soldiers. Bill Buckner's Life and Legend, if you haven't heard, Bill Buckner has passed away today. And it is Monday, May 27th, Memorial Day. The sad end of Dustin Pedroia. The power rankings are out, which is always good. The son and grandson of stars making their debuts. This date in baseball history. And Pete's tweets, where if you'd like to uh, write me, you can follow me on Twitter at Pete Davis one That's the number one. Or you can write me at PeteDavis1 at Yahoo.com. And if you like that, I'll read yours on the air. If it's nice and complimentary, and if it's nasty, I'll read that on the air as well, because we always enjoy those as well. Anyway, let's get to us. It's Memorial Day, and Robert Weintraub uh, wrote an article not too long ago. Actually, it was about six years ago, but it still works today, because there were two men who went to war in World War II that had played Major League Baseball and didn't come back. Neither of them were stars on the ball field, but they were stars in life where it really counted. And by the way, Weintraub has written a book about them and, and other things, which I'll tell you at the end of this uh, how you can get hold of that. Uh, more than 500 Major League Baseball players served in the military during World War II, like uh, Ted Williams, Stan Musial, Joe DiMaggio, but two did not come back, Elmer Gedeon and Harry O'Neill. Now, Gedeon was from Cleveland, Ohio, a three-sport star in Michigan. He was going to go to the Olympics in 1940 in track and field, but those summer games were going to be in Tokyo. So uh, the Olympics were having their fascist uh, decade at that point. They did the Berlin Olympics in 36, and they were going to do the Japanese ones in Tokyo in, in 40, but that didn't work out too well. So Gideon turned to baseball, was an outfielder with the Washington Senators for five games in 1939, had 17 plate appearances, three singles, one run scored, and one RBI. He spent 1940 season in the minors, and then he was drafted back in January 1941 in, well, the Armed Forces. By the way, that was almost a year before the attack on Pearl Harbor, so they had the draft before then. Uh, O'Neill was a catcher, and uh, senators in the, his hometown Philadelphia Athletics were trying to get him, but Connie Mack and the A's bid higher. So in 1939, on July 23rd, during a big loss to the Tigers, O'Neill replaced Philadelphia's starting catcher Frankie Hayes. He caught the final two innings, but unfortunately never got a chance to hit. It was O'Neill's only game in the major leagues. He spent the next two seasons in the minors, and then he enlisted 
and the Marines in 1942. That was right after the war had started for the United States. Gideon was assigned to the Army Air Corps. That was what the Air Force was called back then. Was on board a B-25 bomber, which crashed during training in North Carolina in August of 42. He freed himself and crawled out, and despite three broken ribs, he crawled back inside to try and save his fellow uh, uh, people on the plane. Uh, uh, unfortunately, three other people did die on that. Gideon himself spent 12 weeks in a hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina. Severe burns. He had to have skin grafts. Imagine how painful that was in 1942 to get skin grafts uh, without the technology of today. He lost 50 pounds. Despite all that, he returned to action, saying, I had an accident. It's going to be good flying from now on. I guess he thought he was... Pre-disastered, as Robin Williams said in The World According to Gart. A captain with the 394th Bomb Group, known as the Bridge Busters, and look into these guys, they did a lot of good work in World War II. Gideon usually sat at a desk and planned missions in Europe, but he wanted to keep flying. So at dusk on April 20th, 1944, Gideon took off from Boreham, an airfield in Chesterfield, England, along with 35 other B-26 bombers. They were called the Marauders, by the way. Their destination was a construction site in the woods outside a town in France, Esquadet, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, on the northern coast. It was a launch site for the V-1 rocket, the first of Adolf Hitler's terror weapons he used against England, the buzz bombs, I think they called them. The mission was part of Operation Crossbow, which was an effort to attack the V-1 bases. So around 7.30 at night, after Gideon's plane had dropped its bombs, Anti-aircraft fire ripped through his undercarriage and the B-26 burst into flames. The only crewman to escape was his co-pilot, James Taff, T-A-A-F-F-E, who was captured on the ground by the Germans and put in a POW count. At that point, he was told that his six crewmates, including the 27-year-old Gideon, had passed away. Meanwhile, O'Neill was a first lieutenant in the 4th Marine Division. He fought the Japanese on several Pacific islands, including Saipan, was hit by shrapnel on the shoulder on that island, was hospitalized for weeks all the way back in the United States. Despite that, he went back. Eleven days after Americans raised a flag atop Iwo Jima's Mount Suribachi, the famous photo, O'Neill, who was 27, and his fellow Marines engaged in a day-long battle in the bloody Turkey Knob section of the island. In the early evening of March 6, 1945, O'Neill stood in a deep crater that seemed to provide some cover. Next to him was Private First Class James Contis. And Contis said, uh, we were standing shoulder to shoulder. Harry was on my left. We were looking out at the terrain in front of us, and the shot came out of nowhere. The bullet pierced O'Neill's throat and severed his spinal cord and killed him instantly. A few weeks later, his sister Susanna sent a letter to the athletic department at Gettysburg College where O'Neill had led the baseball, football, and basketball teams to league championships. And here's what she said. We are trying to keep our courage up as Harry would want us to do, but our hearts are very sad. As the days go on, it seems to be getting worse. Harry was always so full of life that it seems hard to think he's gone, but God knows best, and perhaps someday we will understand why all the sacrifice of so many fine young men, end quote. That was O'Neill's sister, Susanna, writing about that. Anyway, Harry O'Neill, and uh, make sure I get his name right perfectly on the first gentleman here. His name was Elmer Gideon, who were the only two baseball players who not come back from active duty in World War II. By the way, Robert Weintraub wrote this. He's the author of a, a book called The Victory Season, The End of World War II and the Birth of Baseball's Golden Age. So I'm going to have to check that out myself because... 
is a pretty good writer on that. Uh, Paul Hembakides tweeted that among 329 elected members of the Baseball's Hall of Fame up in Cooperstown, New York, 68 are military veterans. That's 21%. That's a lot. Uh, Veterans in the Baseball Hall of Fame include 36 from World War II, the most, 27 from World War I, 6 from the Korean War. You'd think there'd be more. And guess what? There was one from the war between the states. Uh, Some people call it the Civil War. And his name was Morgan Bulkley. He wasn't a player. He was the owner of the Hartford Dark Blues of the National Association, which later became the National League. And I believe uh, Mr. Bulkley was the first president of the National League, which is the main reason he got into the Baseball Hall of Fame, along with the American League's first president, Ban Johnson. So they thought if Ban's getting in, the National League, the senior circuit, should have one in there as well. By the way, Morgan Bulkley, his ancestors came over on the Mayflower, and his daddy co-founded Aetna Insurance. Talk about a pedigree. Anyway, Ted Williams is the only Hall of Fame player to serve in multiple wars, World War II and the Korean War. You can win that in a bar bet uh, as long as you're not betting someone who knows their baseball history. What beer do we have today? Well, let's go with one that was pretty big a few years ago. I think it's still out there. It's called Pete's Wicked Ale. Do you ever have that? Mm. Good stuff, Mater, even though it's named after me. Well, the great Bill Buckner, and yes, I said that. When I was a kid, Bill Buckner was a guy you wanted to bat like. I tell you what, ESPN did a great obituary on him today. Bill Buckner passed away, the longtime major leaguer whose error in the 1986 World Series lived for, for years, decades, in Red Sox infamy, has died today. He was just 69 years old. He battled the disease of Lewy body dementia. And passed away. His family said he's in the arms of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's at peace right now. Buckner played 22 seasons in the majors. He was a one-time All-Star. Should have been more than that. Won a batting title back in 1980. But unfortunately, it was the ball that went through his legs at Shea Stadium, October 25th, 1986, that led to one of the most shocking moments in baseball history. Boston was looking for its first fall classic title since 1918. The curse, remember, the Bambino, carried a 5-3 lead into the bottom of the 10th inning of Game 6 against the Mets. New York tied it with two runs, then brought Mookie Wilson to the plate. Wilson worked a 3-2 countoff reliever Bob Stanley. By the way, there's a lot of goats in there, and Stanley, I think, was one of them. People don't seem to remember that. And then with a runner on second base, Mookie bounced a slow roller up the first baseline on the 10th pitch of the at-bat. Buckner went to his left, went down to snag the ball behind the bag, and it went right through his legs and into right field. Ray Knight scored. You remember, you know, that's the famous thing with his hands up in the air, jumping up and down. So the Mets had a 6-5, to five, can you believe it, win. They also won game seven, which the Red Sox blew as well, and it wasn't uh, Buckner's fault. They gut-bunched the Red Sox team that was a strike away a strike away from the title just 48 hours earlier. Look at this. Most hits in the 1970s, 80s. He had 2,715 hits, and 2,707 of them came in the 70s and 80s. The only player with more hits in those two decades, Pete Rose. Rose had 2,929, Buckner 2,707, followed up by Rod Carew, Al Oliver, and Robin Yount. Pretty good uh, character there. In fact, I think everybody's in the Hall of Fame there except Oliver and Pete Rose. You know why Pete's not in there. And uh, more on Bill Buckner. 
His teammates on the 86 team said he wasn't to blame and said he wouldn't, they wouldn't even been in the World Series without Bill Buckner being there, and that's true. It's kind of like Lonnie Smith with the Braves in 91. Yeah, he screwed up in, in that game seven, but without Lonnie Smith, the Braves aren't there. Uh, many in Red Sox Nation never really forgave him to a point. Uh, according to Bob Ryan, who uh, wrote for the Boston Globe, when that ball went through Buckner's legs, hundreds of thousands of people did not just view it as an error. They viewed that as something he had done to them personally. When he retired in 1990, he and his family stayed there in Massachusetts, but the fans and the media were on him so badly that they forced him to move to Idaho, where he bought a ranch. That's about as far as you can get away from Boston. But the Red Sox invited him to take part in a ceremony at Fenway Park, honoring the 20-year anniversary of the 86 team. So that was in 2006. Uh, Buckner declined. Hmm. The first step came in 2004, though, when the Red Sox finally ended the curse of the Bambino by beating the Cardinals, and then the fans started to forget a little bit. The next step came four years later, 2008, the home opener in Fenway. The team had won its second World Series the previous fall, the second one in four years. So on that April day, they were celebrating, and there was Bill Buckner. From out of under a massive American flag draped over the green monster, Buckner was introduced to the crowd and walked slowly to the mound amid a standing ovation that lasted nearly two minutes. With tears in his eyes, the left-hander delivered the ceremonial first pitch, a strike to former teammate Dwight Evans as the Fenway faithful roared. You know, some of them a little hypocritical, but you know what? I'm trying to think of the right word here. I don't. It's not redemption, but forgiveness coming around from both sides. And Bill Buckner said he later, free, he wasn't really the fans he was upset with. He was upset with the media in Boston that went after him. And Boston could be a rough town. Uh, they really uh, they care about their baseball. Maybe a little too much on that. Jason Stark tweeted. And the great ESPN uh, and the, the athletic writer, what a shame that Bill Buckner is only remembered for his worst moment as a baseball player. What he really was was a pure hitter. The only five players with a 300-plus average from 1972 to 82, 10 years, and 5,500-plus at-bats, Rod Carew at 340, Al Oliver, the great Pittsburgh Pirate at 312, Pete Rose at 308, Steve Garvey at 304, and Bill Buckner at exactly 300. He was a heck of a player. Uh, Tyler Kepner had this great tweet. On Sunday, the last full day of Bill Buckner's life, 16 major leaguers struck out at least three times. Buckner played 22 seasons, never did it once. Not once. On that. Another person who passed away, and there was uh, some, it was horrible news. Uh, the Wisconsin uh, assistant basketball coach, his wife and daughter uh, and their family dog passed away in a car accident. And, and forgive me for I'm forgetting his name. Uh, Rob Bramlett and his wife, the voice of the Auburn Tigers, uh, Bramlett was, passed away in an accident in Auburn, Alabama over the weekend, leaving two teenage uh, son and a daughter. Uh, behind, unfortunately. And uh, Jerry Fraley, 
Uh, some of you might remember uh, Jerry Fraley was a baseball beat writer, followed the Braves back in the 80s for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, mostly known for the Dallas Morning News. He passed away over the weekend. He had been battling cancer for two years, and he was about 64. He was still a relatively young man. And I remember reading his stuff back in the 80s, back when, back when there was maybe him, me, and seven other people in the Braves press box at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. But he was a pretty good writer. And, uh, in fact, the, uh, the Rangers, Texas Rangers, whom he covered, were out in Anaheim, and the Angels left some flowers there. And a little note that says the Angels welcome uh, Jerry Fraley, the, the Dallas Morning News, and Evan Grant posted, there will always be a seat for you on there as well. So uh, it was a rough weekend in, in sports. So let's look on the bright side here. Whew, I need a drink after that. Hand me some more ale. Mm. That was coming in tonight, and this uh, young man stopped me and said, I like your shirt. And I looked down and I said, oh, it's got the Newcastle beer emblem on it. Yeah, I, He goes, yeah, I just had one. I said, yeah, I might be just having one in a minute after I do my podcast. Maybe check out the pool, too. It is hot. If you're not here in the southeast, it's hot. For May, it's very hot. And it's not even scratched 95, so just wait. Mark Bowman, who writes for MLB.com, follows the Braves, covers them says uh, from his research rate, the highest hard hit rate this year, a minimum of 25 batted balls, 391 hitters reached that. The number one, Alston Riley, 69% hard hit. He smacked, this is a big kid. A lot of people said he reminds him of them of Tim Salmon, and to me, he reminds me of Scott Rowland because he's a third baseman. So we'll see. The next guy behind Austin Riley at 66.7%, you might have heard of him, Aaron Judge. Uh, behind him, Josh Bell, then Joey Gallo, and Anthony Rendon. So Mr. Riley, who's having trouble with the glove, I'll admit that he's had at least three balls that he should have caught clank off his glove, and he keeps getting in front of Ronald Acuna Jr., who's playing center field. Two reasons you shouldn't do that. One, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. is the center fielder, and you should always acquiesce to the center fielder. Especially, maybe he's not yelling loud enough. I don't know. Secondly, um, Austin Riley's not a, an outfielder. <laughs> Mr. Acuna is so, but he seemed. But I noticed late in the game last night, the Braves had a comeback win over the Cardinals on national television, the ESPN game. I noticed that it was a ball hit out there between them, and I think maybe somebody got into Austin Riley's ear and said, "Why don't you let?" A senior Acuna catch the rest of these, and that's what happened. Uh, ABT, which stands for ATL Baseball Talk, tweeted: Teams trailing by at least three runs going to the ninth inning are now three and 423 this year. That means three wins, 423 losses throughout major leagues. The Braves have two of those wins. And someone else pointed out last night on ESPN: the last uh, I think 10 years, the Braves have like a 270 batting average against other teams' bullpens. That's the best in the major leagues. And they have been, the last two or three years, they've been like comeback teams. You can't sleep on them. And if I'm talking about the Braves a lot, it's because I'm in Atlanta, okay? Sue me. And I know we have listeners all over the United States, New York and California and Texas. And and, uh, so please tell me if you're listening from other places, including Australia and Europe. We've had a couple from there as well. Anyway, sad news out of Boston. A little news conference here and. Fenway Park. As Red Sox second baseman Dustin Pedroia said, he's not sure whether he will ever play baseball again. I don't think he will. I said that a month or two ago. His chronically injured left knee is just, he can barely walk. 
is the bad thing. We're talking about uh, life issues at this point. He discussed his injury today. They transferred him to the 60-day injured list. And everybody was there. The manager was there, Alex Kaur, president of baseball operations, Dave Dombrowski was there. And uh, says Pedroia acknowledged he's, that walking is now tough for him, and he does not plan to undergo another knee surgery. So he's just going to let it see how it works out, which means I don't think he comes back this year, and I don't think he ever comes back. It's a shame. But they've got it. That Chavis is playing okay, and I think they've got another player up there who can do it as well. So... I think uh, the Pedoria era is over, but you know what? You can't complain, Red Sox fans, because that man, that man brought you a lot of good stuff. World Series championships, multiple. The power rankings are out by Allison Footer. She does this for MLB.com every week. You can follow her at Allison Footer. That's with a Y in her name instead of an I. And she says it wasn't long ago the American League had only around a half dozen teams with winning records. The National League, a little better, but not much. But now... Memorial Day, 18 of the 30 teams have records of 500 or better, and the 12 clubs that aren't leading their divisions are no worse than two and a half games behind the wild card standings. That bodes well. Oakland is on a hot streak, nine wins in a row, and they were almost tempted to suggest the Astros may have some competition in the American League West race. The Braves are six games over 500, chipping away at the Phillies' lead in the NL East, and the others, the Rangers and the Mets, have scratched and clawed their way to the 500 mark. Big surprise with the Rangers there. Uh, the biggest jump, the A's made the biggest jump. They were not in the top 20 last week. Well, guess what? They're now number 12. The biggest drop, the D-backs dropped five from number 11 to number 16. So here are the top five. Astros, number one last week, and they remain a top. The Strohs are on pace for 105 wins, took two out of three from the Red Sox at home over the weekend, and they have a 22-game stretch that produced 17 wins, hit 42 homers, outscored their opponents 132-71, to but it's not all rosy in Houston. They lost George Springer to a hamstring injury. He's going to be out for weeks, and they still have Jose Altuve to try and get better as well. Number two in the rankings, the Dodgers. They remain number two. They've won nine of their past 11 games and scored 64 runs in those nine games. Uh, Same in the third spot, the Yankees. Uh, They've been playing well. And, look, I point this out all the time. Is Is it seriously the schedulers that the Yankees have to play the Orioles Every other week, the first month of the season, I'm not kidding. Every time I look up, they're playing the friggin' Orioles. And if they're not playing the Orioles, the Yankees are playing the Royals. I mean, come on. Anyway, Twins are up to number four. They were number six last week. The first place, best record in baseball. Yeah, that's right. The Twinkies, home run mashing Minnesota Twins, have won six in a row, a double-digit lead over the Indians. And everyone had picked the Indians. They're in trouble. And the Cubs round up the top five. They're still number five. So rest of the top 20, we got Tampa Bay at number six, then the Phillies, the Braves, the Red Sox, the Brewers, the Indians, and the A's at number 12, then the Padres, Cardinals, Pirates, Diamondbacks, Rockies, Mets, Rangers, and Nationals round out the top 20. And I don't think the Rangers are even that good. Just my opinion. We welcome yours. Well, a couple of old guys got to sit in the stands and watch their sons and grandsons reach the major leagues. Blue Jays rookie second baseman, is it Kavan or Kavan? C-A-V-A-N. What a weird name. Biggio recorded his first uh, major league hits on Sunday. Got a home run. His Hall of Fame father, Craig, was in the stands at Rogers Center up in Toronto. 
And uh, the younger Biggio said, I've always wanted to do what my dad did ever since a young age. And finally, here we are. We switched the roles. He's in the seats. Now I'm on the field. And it's interesting because uh, the younger Biggio, I'm not even going to try that first name again, was 0 for 6 with three strikeouts before he got a single off the Padres. Well, Biggio, Craig Biggio, who had 3,060 hits in his career, started his career 0 for 7 before he got a single in his fourth career game. So we got that going for us. Now, Carl Yastrzemski, you may have heard of that guy. Well, it's not his son. It's his grandson, Mike Yastrzemski, of the Hall of Famer, the grandson, got his first major league hits on Sunday. The Giants rookie outfielder singled to left against the Diamondbacks, but unfortunately was thrown out after rounding the base too far. He says, it's not really how you draw it up in your mind, but you'll take them any way you can, Yastrzemski said. He made his major league debut on Saturday this guy, Yaz uh, Jr., I guess, twice removed, six years in the minor leagues. He's 28 years old, so good for him. said his famous grandfather helped teach him how to bat when he was a kid. says, we worked for a long time when I was growing up, kind of just kept the stuff pretty close to the heart when being at the plate, and he gave me some good advice. So Yaz to Yaz on that. So it's time for this date in baseball history. It's May 27th, Memorial Day. Mm-hmm. 2019, almost said 19 something. Another sip of Pete's Wicked Ale. Yeah, sure hope they still make it. Oh, we got a motorcycle outside. On this date in 1941, play is stopped in the seventh inning of the Boston Braves New York Giants game in the Polo Grounds, so the crowd can listen to President Franklin Roosevelt give a radio address over the PA system. FDR announced the proclamation of an unlimited national emergency almost a half a year before the bombing of Pearl Harbor. On this day in 1981, umpire Larry McCoy accused Mariners third baseman Lenny Randall of getting down on his hands and knees and trying to blow the Royals' Amos Otis's ball foul as it rolled up the line. But Randall explained, I'm just merely yelling at the baseball to not stay fair. On this date in 1984, Portland Beavers manager Lee Ilya, yeah, that's the Cubs' uh, <laughs> profane rant, Lee Ilya, is thrown out of a game for throwing a folding chair into right field. Beaver's bat boy Sam Morris refuses to go pick up the chair, so umpire Pam Postima also throws the 14-year-old high schooler out of the game. Hey, he was being loyal. On this day in 1986, the Red Sox get a 2-0 victory over the Indians after dense fog rolls into Cleveland Stadium in the sixth inning. This prompts Boston pitcher Dennis Oilcan Boyd to utter his famous quote, what do you expect when they build a ballpark on the ocean? It's Lake Erie. Of course, where did he get the name oil can? Because that was the size of the beer cans he would drink. On this date, 1992, the last place Braves beat the Phillies. That started a run of 78 wins and 37 losses to finish the season and sent Atlanta to its second straight division title in the West Division. They finished eight games ahead of the Reds in the West. And on this day in 1993, after batting 143 for the Rockies, Braves legend and future Hall of Famer Dale Murphy retired. The two-time National League Most Valuable Player finished two homers shy of 400. And a lot of people are saying that's one of the reasons it's being, being held back and not getting in the Hall of Fame yet. If he had just reached 400, 
So he'll be in there one of these days. Uh, let's go back a little bit. This day in 1960, Orioles catcher Clint Courtney became the first backstop to use the big knuckleball glove, an innovation of manager Paul Richards. The larger mitt had a 45-inch circumference, helped knuckleballer Hoyt William go the difference in Baltimore's win at Yankee Stadium in a game that did not feature a wild pitch or a passed ball. That's why they had the big glove. And they were saying the other day that you don't see many knuckleballers around anymore. So the knuckleball pitchers have to literally carry their own glove for the catcher now because the catchers don't have one. On this day in 2000, the Cardinals paid tribute to Hall of Fame hurler Dizzy Dean by dedicating a statue created by sculptor Harry Weber outside of Bush Stadium. The colorful character joined Enos Slaughter, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Stan Musial, and Red Shane Deans to be honored in such a manner by the Redbirds. Good for him. If you ever get a chance, you can go back and listen to some of uh, the Game of the Week that Dizzy Dean called. What an amazing uh, broadcaster. 2017. The Baseball Hall of Fame inducted fictional cartoon character Homer Simpson as part of the celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Simpsons episode Homer at the Bat. As part of the ceremony, a roundtable discussion of the much-beloved episode includes comments by real Hall of Famers Wade Boggs and Ozzie Smith, who played themselves on the animated show. Good for them. So that's this date in baseball history. So it's time for Pete's Tweets, where I read your lovely cards and letters to me and you can uh, send them to me on twitter at pete davis one or you can send them to me at yahoo.com at pete davis or yahoo okay let me start over with that pete davis it's been a long weekend pete davis one at yahoo.com maybe hoping that migraine comes back if i keep talking like this so jim wrote me this lovely uh, letter hi Thank you. I am enjoying your podcast in Peachtree City, Georgia. I'm a longtime fan of the Kimmer Show, and I especially used to enjoy your sports segment when it aligned with my longer commute home. I say this despite not being much of a sports fan. However, the fact that you can make sports interesting and entertaining even to a non-fan is more of an accomplishment. I thought it'd include the only baseball-related story I have. Uh, let's see. This place. This took place shortly after my mother passed away in early 2005. I recalled a story she used to tell about when she was a teenager and attended a White Sox home game in Chicago. Apparently, the score was low and tied for a while, and somehow she wound up taking a bet from a bored hot dog vendor that she would eat one hot dog for every subsequent run scored by the Chai Sox. Well, they ended up scoring something like 16 runs. He says, I'm not certain of the exact number, but that sticks in my head for some reason. And she got sick from eating the wager. Now, I wasn't sure of the exact number of runs, and so I wasn't sure of the year. But given my mother's age, she was born in 1924. It couldn't have been before 1937 and likely not after 42. So as an idle exercise, I set out to see if the web had records of all MLB games scored somewhere. It's a stat-focused game, so I figured it would exist. Google proved no help, surprisingly. Not to me. So I sent an email to the Contact Us link at the official White Sox Club webpage. They directed me to Sabre.com. S-A-B-R.org, which is Society for American Baseball Research. Their page didn't have it either, but some subcategories listed contact people, so I forwarded my query, to I like that word query, to a couple of them. One responded within 12 hours and pointed me to Retrosheet.org, which in fact has most, if not all, such scores. And he pulled some of the games there. He, doesn't, he thinks he's narrowed it down to the actual game. that is. And how cool is that, that you find your mother's there. In fact, the next podcast, if someone reminds me, I'm going to tell a story of a book I checked out in a small town library in Mississippi when I was about, 
I was about 11 years old. And a few years ago, when I was in my early 50s, I went back to look for it. And it was a pretty cool story of what happened when, when, whether I found it or not. You'll just have to check out the next podcast uh, here on Holy Crap It Sports. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, this is our last week on the Kimber Show. We are officially over this Friday, uh, May 31st at 7 p.m. If they let us stay on that long, they've sold the station out from under us. So we are out. Uh, man, we had good ratings, too. We were making money, unfortunately. So if you want to listen to us, it's uh, Atlanta time, Eastern time. Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, and we go 3 to 7 on Friday, and you can hear my sports from 5.10 to 5.25, somewhere around there, in there. We went long today. Anyway, appreciate all that. That's on Talk 106.7 FM Atlanta for just four more shows. And then after that, we have the podcast, right? Esther and Michael and Jason and John and Jonathan and, and, and thank you very much on Patreon.com helping this keep going. I appreciate that. If you like what you hear, Patreon.com. Throw a few bucks our way. Anyway, everybody have a, a great rest of Memorial Day and uh, remember what it's for, man. It's for the, uh, the veterans who did not come back from the wars defending this country and that goes all the way back. Hell, if you want to, the, the French and Indian War, but it's mainly the Revolutionary War up all the way up to what we're going on now in Afghanistan and Iraq and in other places around the world. So um, be sure to, and that's men and women as well. So make sure you take a moment out from the cookouts and the hot dogs and playing by the pool, which I shall be at probably in the next hour or so. And, uh, and just think about those men and women who, that's the reason we're, I'm here to do this podcast in English and not German or Japanese or even Italian for that matter, uh, or Austro-Hungarian, if you want to go back to the First World War, and now I'm rambling. Or Turkish, for that matter. Anyway. Uh, Or British. But anyway, everybody have a lovely night. And uh, drink up, Shriners.